Welcome to a series of short interviews about the non-celibate or Nakpang tradition of Vajrayana Buddhism with Nakchang Rinpoche and Kandradechen. They are the current holders of the Arotair, a non-monastic family lineage originating in Tibet in the late 1800s with the great female Teton Kyung Chen Arolingma. Although born in the West, Nakchang Rinpoche travelled to the Himalayas in 1971, aged 19, where he met with Dujum Rinpoche Jigdrol Yeshe Dorje, the head of the Nyingma tradition. Dujum Rinpoche confirmed the childhood visions of Nakchang Rinpoche and recognised him as an incarnation of Aro Yeshe, the son and heir of Kyungchen Aro Lingma. On that first visit, Dujum Rinpoche ordained Nakchang Rinpoche as a Nakpa and charged him with the responsibility of establishing the Gurkha Changlo Day, the community of Nakpang practitioners in the West. Nakchang Rinpoche and his wife and co-teacher Kando Daichen have dedicated over 40 years to doing that and during this time have met with numerous Nakpa Lamas. Their main teachers were all themselves Nakpas and major lineage holders of the Nyingma tradition. Dujum Rinpoche, Dilga Kyentse Rinpoche, Jimmy Rigsin Rinpoche and Kyabje Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche. During that time, as well as practicing in this Nakpang tradition, Nakchang Rinpoche and Kandodechen have studied the history of the Gurkha Changlo Day right back beyond the first spread of Buddhism in Tibet to the time of the Mahasiddhas in India, and spoken with many Lamas on that subject, including Chakdud Tulku Rinpoche, Purtak Rinpoche, Minling Trichen Rinpoche, and their great friend Lama Tarchin Rinpoche, who was the lineage holder of the Repkong Nakpa lineage. When Nakchang Rinpoche and Kandodechen met with Dungzi Trinlinorba Rinpoche, he was very supportive of their work in establishing the tradition of Nakmas and Nakpas in the West and gave them a long life wish path for Kyabje Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche and Joma Sampal Dechen, in which he elucidates the history and practice of the Nakpang lineage. In this first interview, Nakchang Rinpoche and Kandodechen explain the terms Gurkha Changlo and Nakpang tradition discuss the misnomers, lay tantrika and tantric renunciate, introduce the yanas and explain Buddhism as a religion of method rather than truth. So, good morning Rinpoche and Kandodechen. Can I start by asking what the Nakpang tradition and the Gurkha Changlo Day are? Yeah, well, the word Gurkha Changlode, if I can break it down, uh, Gurkha means white shamtab or white religious skirt, because both the monastics and the Gurkha Changlode wear a shamtab, which is this you know, pleated skirt. So Gurkha is the white one, Changlo is uncut hair or Changlo, the word Chang comes from willow tree, the way the willow hangs down. Uh, this Sangha began in India with the Mahasiddhas and was a, uh, a development in Buddhism into what's commonly known as Tantra or Vajrayana is the word. Uh, when we're discussing the different yanas of Buddhism. So it began with the Mahasiddhas. And it's a non-celibate 
lineage of ordination uh, that runs parallel uh, with monasticism. And so they're called Ngakpas and Ngakmas. Uh, the word Ngak is mantra and Pa is the person who uses it or Ma is the female person who uses mantra. Uh, it's a really mantra user is an abbreviation for practitioner of Tantra. And the vows uh, are based in the tantras rather than in the sutras. So monastic ordination is based in the sutras and the ngakpang ordination is based in the tantras. When did this style of practice come to Tibet? So in Tibet, um, the tradition, the ngakpang tradition came into being in the 8th century, which was the time when Guru Rinpoche Baba brought the Mahasiddha tradition from India to Tibet and at that time there were two um, equal um, parallel streams of practice that came into being and that was the, the monks and nuns, the monastic renunciate Sangha and the Nakpang Sangha, the Nakmas and Nakmas um, and these two traditions have continued to practice side by side um, to the present day. Um, the monks and nuns practice in the religious institutions, the monasteries and nunneries. Um, the Nakpas and Nakmas could be practicing in a variety of different places, such as remote caves, remote hermitages, um, Nakpa Dratsangs, which are Nakpa colleges, um, and also in the villages alongside um, the village people. Um, if I can say something about the Nakpan Sangha having been misnamed as lay tantrikas uh, for the last century. Um, this word lay means not professional, not a professional religious practitioner who leads practice. Now the monks have always been recognised as being professional religious leaders, religious practitioners, but the Nakpang Sangha has been somehow labelled or saddled with this label of um, the lay tantrika. Um, but in fact they are professional religious practitioners. They devote their entire lives to practice and serving the population. So lay is really not an accurate term to describe a Gurkha Changlo practitioner. If one of the issues with the word lay is that in a, in a Tibetan context, someone at some time got hold of the idea that the word lay means non-celibate. Uh, the, the word lay does not mean non-celibate in American English, British English or in any European, Eastern European or Scandinavian language because we've checked and the definition is precisely the same in every language, not professional, not of the clergy, that's all it means.
it does not mean non-celibate. If you use the word lay to mean non-celibate, then of course it's pejorative to Judaism, it's pejorative to Islam, it's pejorative to all the Protestant Christian schools. So you can't actually use this word, it's incorrect over such a broad area that it really should be discontinued, it has no meaning. Sometimes we see Nakpas referred to as tantric renunciates. Could you comment on the accuracy of, of this view? We came across this in an academic paper some time ago, them being described as, uh, as professional renunciates. Um, this is a general misunderstanding that has come out of uh, the cultural idea that the Sutrayana paradigm covers everything and it comes out of a misunderstanding of the yanas, of, of the Buddhist vehicles, because renunciation uh, is the principle of Sutrayana, it's not the principle of Vajrayana. The principle there is transformation, so you can't describe uh, tantrikas or the Gurkha Changlo day as renunciates because they're not. Uh, this does not mean, of course, that they cannot practice renunciation because for any practitioner of any vehicle, all the other vehicles are open for practice. This means in terms of asceticism that a Ngakpa or Ngakma could be an ascetic, but that would be a choice it wouldn't be part of the vows to be ascetic or renunciate. Th this applies to the monastics. Uh, now, the monastics can also practice Tantra in, in a Sutrayana context. So this is where a lot of the um, misunderstanding comes from, that practitioners are not necessarily renunciates. Uh, once you think they are, then it's hard to understand what they're doing because they don't conform to a renunciate path. Is this because Buddhism as a whole is so often mistakenly viewed as renunciate? Well, yes, that's, that's entirely true because when people think about Buddhism, they basically think about Sutrayana. Uh, Mahayana and Hinayana, they don't think about Vajrayana and so they assume that, that it's going to conform to Sutrayana and, and that's what's led to a great deal of misunderstanding in people. There's also this confusion that feeds into this between the word renounce and the word reject because all religious practitioners reject samsara, the mechanism whereby we mm. make ourselves mm. unhappy, but that doesn't necessarily mean a renunciate path, it can mean a transformational path. So it's this confusion between rejection and renunciation mm -hmm. of samsara. Misunderstanding about the differences between the yanas seems to lead to uh, great confusion. Oh, it's massive. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it, we spend a lot of our teaching lives going over the same material for people, 
trying to get them to understand the difference between the yanas, how those yanas are, are seen in the different schools, because it's not a simple uh, mode. You see, in the Nyingma tradition, you have nine yanas. In the other schools, um, Sakya and Kagyu, you have three yanas. Uh, in the Gelug, you have two yanas. Uh, you have Hinayana and Mahayana, and then the Mahayana is subdivided into exoteric and esoteric Mahayana, the esoteric Mahayana being Vajrayana. Now, in this paradigm, of course, what happens is that Vajrayana uh, is understood through Sutrayana. And that seems to be quite widespread as an understanding, but that is only true within the Gelug school, where it has a certain function. Uh, in the Sakya and Kagyu schools, uh, you have three yanas, Hinayana, Mahayana and Vajrayana, and there Vajrayana has its own base. Um, one of the other things that's not understood is, is what, a, what a yana actually is. And it's not simply a different trend in Buddhism. It, it, each yana has, uh, has a base, a path, and a result. And according to what the base is, the path changes. The result is always the same, but it's where you start with it. So uh, Vajrayana starts with the realization of emptiness. That's the base. And so everything that comes from that base is then characterized in terms of how form arises from emptiness. So Vajrayana is not geared towards realizing emptiness, it's geared towards realizing non-duality. Sutrayana is based on uh, realizing emptiness, which is why it's a renunciate path, and why Vajrayana is a transformational path, because it begins from emptiness. So if one doesn't understand the base, path and fruit of each yana, then one will not understand what the contradictions are between the yanas. Um, once you understand that, then the contradictions are simply the result of method. Like a swimming costume is one method, uh, a fur coat is another method. Uh, one may have issues with fur coats, of course, let's say uh, uh, the polystyrene or, or, or whatever the modern politically correct version of that is supposed to be. Uh, one keeps you warm in the cold and one you go into the water with it. Whether you actually need the costume or not is another matter, but um, there you are. You know, they contradict each other. But there's nothing wrong with either, they just have a purpose. And uh, um, one of the issues around this is the whole idea of, of truth. Uh, we tend to approach most religions as being about truth, because that is the main thing with the three religions of the book. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, and they deal with truth. Uh, Buddhism does not really deal with truth. 
It deals with method. And the method is uh, what enables you to arrive at, at truth. But it's not a religion of truth. It's a religion of method. And methods uh, are different. And methods contradict each other. They contradict each other because they achieve different ends and they work with different principles. So this misunderstanding, once you think that Buddhism is a religion of truth, then you have to imagine that anything that is stated always holds true. And if you think that, then you continually misunderstand things, particularly within Vajrayana.